Hello, and welcome to Sink or Swim, a bi-weekly podcast brought to you by RentSync, where we provide an insider's look into the prop tech, multifamily, and rental housing industry. In each episode, we take a deep dive into the technologies and strategies that have helped companies overcome operational challenges and increase the value of their multifamily investments. So without further delay, let's get into today's discussion. Welcome back to Sink or Swim. I'm Mitch Fanning with RentSync, formerly LWS. And joining me today is Abe Samani, Managing Director at Leverton Intelligence. And let me see if I can get this straight. An AI-powered contract analytics platform that extracts data from documents, which in turn helps clients make better data-driven decisions. And I believe, Abe, uh, Leverton was acquired by MRI in 2019? That's right, yep. Yeah, and so obviously at this point, we're you know, and obviously before that, you guys had served the real estate vertical. Um, so welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Now, before we we kick things off, Abe, you and I actually met last year at the MRI Ascend conference, which is their their user conference. And uh, my colleague and I, Jason, we, we saw your demo on stage. Uh, we were you know we were impressed by the technology. And when we kicked, we uh, we started this podcast. I immediately thought of you as a guest, so I'm I'm, I'm thankful that we could we could actually uh, make things uh, make it work. Um, so let's start by getting you to expand on that intro, maybe specifically how you got involved in real estate tech, uh, or and prop tech in general. Sure. So uh, it's funny because I was never really a real estate guy and I was never really a tech guy, um, but sort of ended up in prop tech. My, my career actually started out on Wall Street. I was more of a finance guy. Um, and after a couple of years in private equity and investment banking, I left uh, to partner with a couple of guys to start a small commercial real estate fund uh, down in Nashville called Priam Properties. And we were a really lean team, like 10 people trying to manage, you know, 250, $300 million of office properties. Um, and I had never really done much with commercial or even residential real estate. Um, so this was kind of an eye opener for me. And I think, uh, you know, the immediate thing that, that I took away from being involved in that was just the ridiculous amounts of administrative work uh, real estate professionals go through, um, just the, the lack of um, sort of documentation, software, uh, processes, workflows, uh, I was dealing with like all these Excel spreadsheets and sometimes things were written on paper, you know, scratch outs on leases and um, sort of going through 10 people to get a very simple answer. Um, and so uh, I saw a lot of different issues there. And, and I think this is kind of where prop tech sort of emerged from anyways, is, is a lot of problems in the administration, especially on the commercial side. Um, and, and one of the big issues that we had was the amount of time we were taking to read these real estate lease documents, abstract them, get the information out correctly, and then put them into a system like an ERP system, uh, and then actually you know, send out the invoices from them. And we were always finding issues in our system, didn't match the data that was in the leases, if they ever got amended or changed, you know, sometimes that data didn't copy over, and it was this whole manual process. Um, so sometime around 2016, I was in Berlin in Germany um, at, a, at a tech conference, actually, just, just looking at some, some new age tech. I was, I was kind of there on holidays and um, saw this uh, group that had created this uh, OCR technology or optical character recognition technology. And they were analyzing German uh, contracts, um, like uh, small lease contracts and things like that. 
And I said, you know, the light bulb went off and, and I think it was a science project for them. And I said, look, I can, I think I can commercialize this. I think I can take this tech, uh, bring it all over the world and turn it into something that uh, is perhaps even used for more than just, you know, real estate leases. It can have sort of infinite uh, possibilities in terms of documentation. Um, and from there, we, we created Leverton. Um, and uh, it, was a, it was a wild journey for about three and a half years. Um, grew the company from, from literally nothing um, to, to almost 50 employees. Uh, we had an office in London, New York, uh, New Delhi, Germany, um, and uh, got some great customers on board. And uh, right around mid-2019, had some uh, great opportunities to, to exit and, uh, and, and join a larger family uh, and sort of expand our resources um, and was fortunate enough to land with uh, MRI software, uh, which, is, which has just been amazing. And, um, you know, we, we've, since the acquisition, we've, you know, double, tripled in size, our, our breadth and reach for customers is, is that much more. Um, and, and the core technology is still very, very expansive. And the, and the things we can do with it are, we're, we think we're only scratching the surface right now. Yeah, it's, so there's a couple of things I want to kind of double click into uh, on, in that response. Um, so number one, you've answered the question, where did you come up with the idea? <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, and you've also touched upon um, something that's going to lead me into my next question around the, uh, you know, the, the problems that you, you are seeing. Uh, and uh, I've, had, I've asked this question to some of my previous guests, uh, and because of your background in private equity, uh, you know, why do you think the real estate tech ecosystem is growing so quickly, uh, you know, in the last five to 10 years? Look, so real estate as an asset class is one of the highest performing asset classes, at least in America and globally. Um, and there are so many benefits just as an investment from depreciation, taxes, uh, especially in America, it's been a very real estate friendly uh, country. When your returns are that high and that consistently high where you're literally beating the S&P 500 over any 10-year period since the, since the early 1900s, there is often very little need for innovation. Uh, it's a, if it ain't broke, don't fix it mentality because why put an effort to, you know, improve our systems or processes when without doing anything, we can, you know, churn out 12%, 13% rate of return uh, net to our investors every year, right? Um, I think what's happened in the last 10 or 15, maybe even 20 years is real estate uh, as a physical asset has morphed and, and we've only seen that really get exacerbated and accelerated uh, during this uh, pandemic. Um, I think, uh, you know, industrial and, and warehouses were, were looked at this inferior asset class 20, 30 years ago. Now it's the hottest thing since sliced bread, whereas, you know, retail was the hottest thing 30, 40 years ago. And now everybody wants to run away from a mall, essentially. Um, because of these transformations that happened, and they happened so quickly, investors could not adapt fast enough. And as soon as investors start to get burned, as soon as you start stop spitting out 12 or 13%, they put a lot of pressure on the property managers, the asset managers, the owners to say, look, you got to figure something out. You got to turn this around, you got to do something here. Typically, uh, an, an individual technology component by itself, for example, even our technology, isn't enough to move the needle. We can save you time, we can save you money, but we're just one component. You actually need an ecosystem of technologies that are talking to each other, working together to actually 
change alpha, right? Alpha is profit. So in order to go from, you know, a 6% return to a 10% return, uh, you know, probably my technology is not enough, but it's just saving you money on lease abstractions. But if you take my technology along with 10 or other technologies that, you know, combine together, create this prop tech atmosphere that creates efficiencies, creates automation, uh, reduces the amount of manual labor that's needed, allows you to be more scalable uh, with your investments, with your asset management. Uh, those types of things do have a compounding effect. And I think that is just something that th this industry has been hit with just as a more of a laggard industry. It's been hit with all of a sudden. And of course, uh, you know, venture capital money um, has kind of followed suit and, and we can't downplay that, that, you know, from 2016 to 2019, you just had this outpouring of, of VC money pretty much, you know, coming into the space leading to 3,000, 4,000 prop tech companies getting created. Um, I think the pandemic now is, is sort of clearing the field a little bit. I think after the dust settles, you're going to have a, a bunch of consolidation here. Um, you are going to have the best companies survive, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, you maybe don't need 4,000, 5,000 prop tech companies um, because, because they can't all, all sort of exist in, in the ecosystem. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I'm also out from, I'm not, traditionally, I'm not from a uh, multifamily background and my, my background's more in the B2B SaaS or technology. Um, and what I've noticed is I think from a macro perspective, my take is you've got a whole cohort of renters that are younger that are essentially looking for that Uber experience on the renting side. Uh, you also have a young cohort of people who are working in these companies who, uh, essentially don't want to work, show up and work uh, on shitty software. They they want they want a UI they want they want the same experience as they get uh, with any in any other type of software. You also have challenges with data, like you had mentioned. Like there's you know there's this administrative challenge, and how all these uh, technologies integrate with each other, uh, and that tech stack. What does that look like? It's ever evolving uh, in in technology, um, and then you've got like you've said. You've got uh, owner uh, owner operators, asset management firms, or even the investors, you know, looking to optimize, you know, NOI. And then you've got investors who essentially are saying, well, you know, we're now looking for segments of the market that we can invest in new opportunities. So it, it's kind of like that. You know, on top of that, you've got you've got COVID. It's it seems like it's almost that that perfect storm. It is, and, and, and uh, I think you brought up a great point around the changing dynamics of the people who are going to be in charge of these asset classes. So as sort of your baby baby boomers and, and Gen Xs get a little bit older, we start to see uh, retirements, uh, you know, uh, unfortunate passings of, of people as they get older. You know, Heinz just lost their, their uh, single, you know, leader. Um, and the younger generation is stepping up um, and taking over. And, you know, if you look at uh, millennials who are now approaching, you know, 40, 45, um, and, and even the generation after them, this is a generation that essentially for most of their life has grown up on their mobile phone. And they want to do everything mobile. They want everything to be, you know, clean UX, clean UI. They want to be data-driven decision makers. Um, and, and as the passing of time goes on, uh, more and more of those types of leaders are, are going to look at processes and say, look, we can't be doing stuff on a paper and a pad. We can't be 
you know, hunting for information for five days and not getting the answers. Like that's just not efficient. And we just don't have the attention span. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. Uh, for that kind of behavior, you know? So yeah, Exactly. Switching gears a little bit, let's, let's kind of drill into the technology, specifically AI mm-hmm. and, and how it relates to uh, real estate and multifamily. Uh, the first question I really want to ask uh, is, is a pretty simple, uh, deceivingly simple question, but but also complex. You know, what's your definition of AI? Yeah, so I, I think AI is uh, really anything that we ask a computer to do that replicates the behavior of of the human mind. That's that's how it is for me. And would you say at this point it's it's very um machine like machine learning like uh versus um so i guess let's say it another way what do you feel it's it's based on the rules we set or do you feel like there is at this point uh the machine is actually learning on its own and then almost yeah. there's probably there's probably uh, shades of gray there even right so we're at a period in time where we are um, sort of at distinct AI, which means we have very distinct problems that we want the AI to solve. We're not at a generalist AI place where, you know, you can tell your, uh, you know, Google home that make me a piece of toast, vacuum, uh, do the laundry and also pick up my kids from school. Right. That's a, that's, that's maybe coming in, in a couple of decades. What we're doing right now is we're breaking all of those things up into individual softwares, individual functions. Each of those things are building their own AI because we either a don't have the compute power for that, or more likely we don't have the data sets for it. AI requires a tremendous, tremendous amount of high quality data sets. And so I think the period that we're at right now is every, Everybody's trying to solve a very specific function using AI, and they're trying to collect as much data sets as possible because what they're doing is they're basically replicating uh, a brain. They're making a brain, and that brain is IP. Uh, once you build that brain, you know, once you create a collection of memories, it's very valuable, right? It's uh, it's not something that can can be destroyed or corrupted. It's just it's this thing that now, like, yeah, you can you can automate it the same way that you know if you if you drop a, a residential lease into our application over the past five years, we have seen so much of that. We have seen so much data that literally we will you know pull your rent charges, we'll pull your critical dates, we'll pull your renewal options, whatever it is. Um, because we've done it so many times. Um, and, and what it also does is it creates barriers to entry because mm-hmm. if, if I've already done that and I've built this you know, great sophisticated AI to, to read residential or commercial releases and I'm already you know, automating 80% of that, why would anybody you know, want to recreate that? Right. It's like, it's like, no, go, go solve another problem in AI. These guys have that problem and, and, and it's sort of done. Um, and that, and that's really interesting because we've never seen that before. Like, uh, you know, if you're manufacturing a bunch of widgets, anybody can go and say, yeah, I'll, I'll just manufacture it better than you. I'll just, I'll just create a copy of it and I'll do it for 10 cents cheaper. I'll import the, exactly. the, the, the labor and the materials from somewhere else. Um, and, and, and still make a profit. I think in the AI space, it's like people are standing up their walls basically because they're building these brains uh, and nobody really wants to fight that. And, and Google's a great example. Like nobody wants to fight the search engine game. <laughs> nobody wants to. Like they just, they own that 
you know, piece of it. And it does create these like tiny sort of monopolies. Um, and and, and uh, it, it's exciting what's going on, but, but the expectations uh, of AI have, have often surpassed the, the realities of it. It's still a very slow and cumbersome process to, to, to do and it's, it's complicated and, and a lot of it exists inside a black box. So it's hard to sometimes figure out why did it behave that way, um, which is interesting. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that distinction. I think that, that that's going to be helpful to some of the listeners. Now, this this next question is more of a, it's kind of a two-parter. Um, you know, obviously COVID has negatively affected a lot of businesses and people. Uh, that said, how has, you know, technology and specifically AI helped operators and property management firms navigate this uh, environment uh, given COVID? Look, absolutely. I mean, we can start with our tech, right? Um, every, you know, commercial lease uh, uh, tends to have some protections in it uh, for things that happen, catastrophes, force majeure, act of God. You know, people who were using our software had all of that data structured, easily accessible. They didn't have to call their lawyers. They didn't have to talk to anybody. And when you're dealing with a very sensitive situation where, you know, a long-term tenant who's been a great tenant all of a sudden says, I'm sorry, I can't pay this month's bill. Like my business is shut. My, my, I'm not earning any money on the residential side. I can't pay you. You know, that's a really hard conversation to have. Uh, and I think the, the people who are armed with data, the people that had AI technologies in place were able to quickly run queries analysis and say, okay, you know, this is our exposure. 20% is protected by this insurance. 30% is protected by, you know, that clause. Um, let's go into these meetings with, with compassion, but, but also be armed with data because we have to survive also. Um, so I think that's the, the, the folks who were technology enabled uh, were able to survive and perform a lot better than the folks who, you know, had deferred some of those technology decisions for sure. Um, and it's not just AI, right? It's everything from, you know, uh, Zoom meetings and virtual meetings, right? The, 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 the real estate companies that, that were used to that were able to get a lot of stuff done and be productive through the pandemic where, versus the guys who were like, no, every day you have to wear a suit and come to the, the, the big boardroom, right? Like, that's just the way we do things. Um, they, they had a tougher time, you know, earlier on. I think everybody's sort of maybe caught up a little bit now. It's been six months, uh, so going into seven months. Um, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's that kind of a adapt or die kind of uh, situation. Now, now when I you know switching gears to that second part, uh, you know we you know from from your perspective personally, or even from your business, um, how have um have or or have you made any uh kind of beneficial changes uh that maybe you'll you'll actually continue with in the future. Look, I think, you know, pre post pandemic, we have always had the same mantra that we want to do the right thing for our customers. We want to help them to build uh, great data sets where they can make good decisions. Um, and what we saw during this pandemic is that there was a lot of painful times for businesses and people. And a lot of them were confused because they weren't armed with those data sets, those high quality data sets to make those decisions. Um, and we're on a mission to, to, to change that for everybody. Um, and it's not just for real estate. You know, we helped companies, uh, you know, do, do their utility bills through the pandemic. They, they couldn't figure out, you know, who they owed, what they owed. You know, there were some facilities that were turned on and the lights weren't turned off and nobody was there, though. And they couldn't figure out, you know, why the bills were so high. And they just threw over all their utility bills to us. We used our AI 
We abstracted all the data, gave them a trend analysis. Um, we did that for cell phone contracts. We did it for vendor contracts. We, we've done it for so many different things beyond just you know a, a traditional lease document. And we continue to see more and more use cases um, come up. Um, this pandemic is is really transformative in in many different ways. It's going to affect the commercial space. It's going to affect the residential space. It is going to. It's not just this pandemic. It is it's future proofing for the next pandemic also. And I think technology uh, is definitely the key to making sure that the next time we have something like this, and we will have something like this, that we're way way better prepared and 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 businesses can survive. Absolutely. Um, yeah, there's no question about that. Uh, is, you know, as we kind of begin to close out the conversation, uh, I'm going to kind of ask another two, two part question. Uh, when, when you think, when, when we kind of start to think about the future, uh, you know, how are you thinking about the future of the real estate, uh, tech ecosystem, uh, specifically in through the lens of the future of AI and I'll even kind of throw in another kind of uh, wrench in general. Uh, so the future of AI in general, but almost uh, specifically how it relates to to multifamily. Absolutely. So you know the future I see for for prop tech and, and AI and real estate in general is uh, connectivity. I think that's you know more important than any singular application is the ability for many many applications to talk to each other and be held in a centralized data warehouse where the end user, the customer, can quickly access all the disparate pieces of information and make decisions at a holistic level uh, than, than to have you know, blinders on and only look at something specific. I think um, you know, at MRI Software, we've done a good job of that, of creating this you know, partner ecosystem and, and working with lots of different software companies to basically say, look, if, if you've got APIs, if, if you've got a way to connect to us, just, just plug right in, plug right in, and we'll make it happen because we know that customers want preferences, they want choices, they, they want to be able to pick and choose which prop tech companies they want to use, um, and they want to be able to plug and play the same way that, you know, in your own house, uh, you can have a toaster oven from one company, you can have a fridge from one company, you can have, you know, all these appliances from different companies, they all plug into the same sockets, and we're able to have this great experience of personal choice, but also utility, right? And I think uh, all the real estate software kind of, you know, needs to do the same thing. Um, I think AI, uh, you know, sort of in, in general um, is, is still at its early, early stages. Um, what we really need to do is, especially as it relates to multifamily, uh, is start connecting those AI algorithms into uh, the physical space, into the physical world. Because if we think about multifamily, it's all about the experience, right? It's about the experience of when you sign up for a lease, uh, when you get your screening and authorization and background done, how do you, you know, view a space uh, virtually now? Um, once you get to your space, how do you move in? How do you get your insurance? How do you uh, enjoy your lifestyle here? What are the common areas that are, you know, enjoyable? Uh, all these things have data behind them that AI algorithms can help to tweak in real time and start to sort of, um, in, a, in a more real-time nature, make adjustments to these buildings, to these physical buildings, you know, can you control the temperature better? Can you make the the lighting uh, nicer and and and, and softer um, when when people are are feeling you know uh, 
different about things. How is your communication system? Do you have automated response systems? How's your maintenance repair going? Uh, you know, how do tenants feel really comfortable about what's going on in, in those assets, right? Um, and I think AI is going to play a very big role in harnessing those data sets uh, and letting uh, owners, uh, occupiers, uh, managers to make better decisions um, in, in that space. Yeah, a couple of things uh, just to kind of piggyback off that. Uh, obviously, as a as a certified partner of uh, MRI uh, Rensync, um, we can I can definitely attest to uh, to their commitment to. Uh, contributing to that to that ecosystem uh, to that kind of uh, real estate tech ecosystem and yeah it you, definitely seems logical you know ai going from you know the the intangible or the digital space to to more affecting the, the physical space um so to cap things off we're gonna we're gonna end with sometimes my favorite part which is kind of the quick fire round where i'll say a statement and uh, you'll have about 60 to 90 seconds to to respond uh, so, Abe, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. So, question one: What's one thing you wish your phone could do? Uh, I wish it would make better phone calls. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think in in all this the, all the stuff that they made the phones do, I think the phone quality has gone down. <laughs> so, I'm really <laughs> waiting for this five uh, G upgrade to happen. It's interesting how I've noticed that they've started to actually get smaller in size. So yeah. it's, you know, it's always, it's always seems to, to go the opposite way at some point. Um, yeah. so next question, what do you believe that others might disbelieve? Ooh, what do I believe that others might uh, disbelieve? I don't know. I'm such a convincing guy. I feel like anything I believe, everybody <laughs> starts to believe it. <laughs> All right. Well, then you know that's uh, that's a that's the answer. Then. Um, so, as a result of COVID, uh, what have you changed your mind about lately? Um, you know, I've I uh, this is a sort of <laughs> philosophical, but I've I've I have changed my mind about small businesses. I have really seen them, uh, you know, I was this big New York Manhattan guy, uh, you know, sort of, you know, wore this, the, the Wall Street suit and, and with that comes a bit of, you know, arrogance. And I think COVID has made me experience small business in, in no other way. I've seen their pain, I've seen their frustration, I've seen their struggle. I see how hard that they work out there. Um, and uh, I really appreciate everything that they're doing and trying to get through this. It's really, really painful to see, you know, some of your local restaurants, some of the, the local pubs that I used to go to, just facing all these challenges. Um, and, you know, I hope we can find a way as, as a country, as, as a world, to, to really make sure that these small businesses uh, continue to thrive because they, they are really the backbone of, of our culture and, and sort of our atmosphere that we want to create as a society. Yeah, I think, you know, one thing I've kind of noticed that's that's similar is um, how more people are, you know, in, in your in in my day to day are, are a little bit more empathetic. And this whole work from home culture, uh, I'll have Zoom meetings with people who are in casual clothing, and uh, it just seems more more. Uh, I guess I'll use that word authentic or real. So it, it is nice to see. Hopefully we, we can keep some of that as, as things, uh, as things move forward. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so 
Next question, and uh, this one was uh, especially designed for you. Artificial intelligence fills you with hope or dread? Pick one. Hope, definitely hope. Um, uh, I, I won't lie and say that, that sometimes when I see the things that we do, I, I am a little bit scared uh, of how fast and, and how quickly the technology advances. Um, and there's obviously a, a double-edged sword to all of these things. There's ethical concerns and all of that good stuff. Um, but the amount of scalability, the, the great advancements we've made, the things that AI is doing in medicine and in, in healthcare, I mean, just, just tremendous. Um, so I am very hopeful. I'm an optimist. I'm very hopeful about the future. And, and I think AI is going to have a great role in that. So last question, where can people find you on the interweb? Yes, uh, absolutely. So uh, I'm on uh, Twitter. Uh, I've got my handle at Abe Samani. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, a, cool, a cool unknown fact is that I actually spin as a DJ and produce electronic dance music. Uh, and I have a moniker called Be Nasty. And so uh, you can actually find me on SoundCloud, Spotify, um, uh, Mixcloud, uh, where I have all my DJ sets up. Um, and actually, if you were at Ascend this year, um, if we had a physical Ascend, I'd probably be spinning one of the after parties, but we're having a virtual Ascend yes. uh, conference this year um, where, where I think I, I recorded one of my sets. So. I'll put that in the show notes. And hopefully next year, uh, we will be at MRI Ascend. And uh, again, we can we can meet up in person and uh, and uh, I, can, I can hear... Uh, I can hear some of your tracks in, in person. Uh, well, yeah, that'd be great. That's, that's it. I mean, that's it for another episode. Abe, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, and uh, until next time, keep swimming. You've reached the end of another episode of Sink or Swim. Make sure to visit us at rentsync.com slash podcast to access show notes, key takeaways, and where you can sign up to our newsletter to receive free bonus content. If you found value in this show, please also remember to rate, review, and subscribe. That's this week's episode of Sink or Swim. Don't forget to join us next time for another jam-packed episode. Thanks for listening.